Public Radio. I am Stank Dog, and on today's episode, we are going to continue our in-depth series, our mini-series on databases, uh, talking about uh, from the ground up how they work, the fundamentals and basics, and working our way up to some more advanced topics. Uh, this is episode two in the series, so if you are just joining us, I highly suggest you go back and find episode one. Uh, you can find that at hackerpublicradio.org, and um, you can check to see that and a lot of other great episodes on great topics, but today we're going to continue with some relational database management system topics. In the first episode, we did talk about databases in general and touched on the idea of relational databases, but we didn't get too much in the terminology. I wanted to take a break and let the first part of that kind of sink in and make sure we're all on the same page. And today we're going to talk about specifically are DBMS systems or relational database management systems, which is the most common and most prevalent type of database management system out there. The relational database management system is based on something called a relational model. Obviously, that's where the name comes from. But what is a relational model? Well, one of the things we're going to do in this series is try to break down a lot of this terminology. I do think sometimes it's silly and overkill to make up all these buzzwords and terminology to try to explain something that really can be much simpler. What they mean by a relational database management system and a relational model is simply that your data inside of this management system has relationships between each other. Now, if you have just a text file, as we talked about in the first episode of this series, if you just have a text file, you don't really need a database system if you just have a list of names and phone numbers or something very, very basic. But as soon as you add any level of complexity in there that you think that you're going to need something to maintain large volumes and numbers of data or a large amount of data, that's when you're going to want some sort of database management system. And again, relational database management system being the most common. The easiest way probably to visualize how data is stored in a relational database management system, which we're going to refer to as RDBMS from, from now on, um, envision a spreadsheet. Um, any, any data stored in a relational or an RDBMS is stored in a two-dimensional array, a.k.a. a spreadsheet. Now, not a spreadsheet like... Microsoft Office Excel or OpenOffice.org or any of those type things. It is easy to visualize that way, but it's not an application. It is a two-dimensional array. That is to say that there are a certain number of rows and a certain number of columns, and they make up something called a table. And table is the primary way that data is stored in an RDBMS. So you can have a table that is a list of people's name and phone number for example. Now you pro again, you probably wouldn't use it if you're using a simple example like that, but if you're using something a little bit more complex, like say you had an online website that was taking orders, 
Well, if you think about that, you need a lot of information to take orders. You need people's name and address. You need a lot of their billing information. You need a catalog with what you're selling and the prices of those items, maybe descriptions, pictures, all kinds of data. And if we go back to what we talked about in episode one, you could theoretically put all that in one big line in a text file somewhere, but as soon as you reach any quantity of records, it's going to get confusing. There's going to be a lot of repetition. If somebody comes in and places five orders, they're going to have five records with the same information all of it. It's a lot of wasted space, inefficient accessing of the data. So that's when an RDBMS is going to come in. What you do in an RDBMS is break down your data. There's something called uh, normal form, normalization. And what you're going to do in the normalization process is you're going to sit down, you're going to analyze the data that you have, and you're going to break it down into a series of as tables or spreadsheets, if you want to think of it that way. So you can even sit down, and I do this all the time for a lot of the projects that we work on in BINREV, um, sit down, even on a napkin or a piece of paper, or there are plenty of tools, GUI tools that you can use to do this on a computer. Um, sit down and kind of design and think about all the different data that you're going to have and going to be tracking. You have to do a lot of planning and preparation. It's not something you kind of do off the cuff. You actually have to sit down and do some analysis and decide what data you're going to need in your particular system and then how can you break that data up logically. And that process is called normalization. Normalization in layman's terms is to break down your data so that there's no repetition, the data all works together and cooperates and is reliable and makes it easy to maintain and read. Now there are different types of normalization, different levels I should say of normalization. It goes up to fifth and sometimes people say sixth normal form. We're not going to emphasize that now. We might come back to that later on in another episode, but for now just think that you want to get your data spread out in such a way that Let's go back to the orders example that I used earlier. Um, you don't want one big text file with all of that data stored on there. What you want to do is break that up into smaller logical segments so that it's easier to maintain. So in one table or one text file or however is easier for you to envision it, you want to break that data into one entity. You, excuse me, you do not want to put all that in one entity. You want to break that up so that it's in several different tables or entities logically broken down. For example, um, if you are running an online store, one bit of data that you're going to have to have is your product line and information about it. So you're going to have a product, product name, maybe the size, the color, the price, things like that. Anything that has to do with that product, you probably want to separate that off into its own database or excuse me, into its own table inside of your database. That way, as you add new products to it, you, they only get added to this one table. It's easily updated. There's no confusion. <clears throat> and it's all in one place, in one logical format. So if you ever wanted to do a report on a list of all the objects that you, or all the uh, items that you have for sale, you could do that very easily by just pulling the data out of this table. And that data really is somewhat irrelevant of the other parts of your system. Another part of your system, of course, would be the names of people who place orders. So your customer list would probably be a separate entity because the customers are independent of the product. So you probably would have a separate table 
when someone comes to your website and decides to order something, they're going to have to register and give you their name, address, phone number possibly, um, maybe credit card number could go in there. Again, I'm just making this up as we go along. You would have to do an analysis on your own system to decide what best fits for you. Um, and then you might have a third one, a third table for the actual orders themselves because table one and table two is a list of products and a list of customers respectively. But how do those two go together? This customer may order items one, five, and seven, but this next customer may order items one, two, and four. And how do you make those things work together? Well, you probably would have a third table when a customer places an order that ties those two things together. So you see that these tables, while independent in nature, by the nature of their data, customer table, product table, you can see that those are independent by the logical breakdown of their data. You see that they actually do have relationships, and there's where that word comes back into play. They do have relationships between those tables. And that's where you're also going to sit down in your analysis and decide how you're going to store that data. And I guess to put it in a question form to make you think about it, what would you do or how would you find out if customer number four, what items did he order? Well, it's not quite so simple as pulling only the ones where that customer's name matches the order. He may have multiple orders. Um, You've got to be careful that someone else in there may not have ordered the same thing, that you're pulling the right data. So all those relationships are important in the design and layout of your database. And I know this is kind of tricky to visualize um, via audio only on a, on a radio show, but I'm trying to break this down into most, the most simplistic terms that I can. So what you should be envisioning now in front of you are three different spreadsheets in the example I gave you. Or three different tables is the proper term. Table of customers, table of products, and then a table, a third table that ties those together called orders. So when a customer comes to the site, they can, your site's going to pull from the products table and give them a list of products as they page through them. You can imagine Amazon and all the products that they have. It's pulling out of those products tables and displaying them on the screen. If you register, it's going to create a record for you in the customers table. And if you ever place an order, it's going to insert a record then into your orders table or their orders table. Now that's very simplistic. There's a whole lot going on besides that, but you can see that process. And when you write that order in there, it's going to have your name or a, uh, uh, probably some sort of numeric reference to your name to make it a little bit quicker. But for, late, for ease of thought here, it's going to have your name and then it's going to have the product name that you bought. Now it doesn't have to have the price or the color or the size or any of that necessarily, depending on how you lay it out. If size is an option, you might have to put that in there. But actually, by putting in just the name of the customer and the name of the product, it's tying the data from those two together, and it can read those data, read those tables to pull the rest of the data. So it knows what color you ordered. It knows what size you ordered because it pulls it from that table. And those are the relationships in a relational database management system. So I've used the word table. Let's break down and analyze what exactly is a table. I described it as a spreadsheet earlier. So if you've used Excel or any kind of spreadsheet application, you know across the top you have several columns. And each one of those columns, a, a norm, I think by default most, uh, most um, spreadsheet applications will say A, B, C, D, E, F, etc., etc. Well, you have all the columns at the top, and on the left you have rows. And that's just simply how many rows of data that you have. So you may have a list of five customers, if you want to visualize, imagine across the top, what are you going to put in column A? 
customer name, for example. And column B might be street address. Column 3 might be state, 4, city, 5, zip code, etc., etc. So each one of those columns has a different type of data in it. And imagine, it, or even if you want to while we're listening to this, type that in so you can visualize it. But you see that each one of those columns has a different type of data in it. You don't want to mix and match. You don't want to on your next row, oh, well, I'll put the address in column A this time and the name over in column C. Logically, who does that when they put in a spreadsheet? You have it all nice and neat so it's readable and easy to understand the data that's in there. Well, the same holds true when you're putting data into a database. As a matter of fact, that's one of the benefits of a database, to keep everything nice and organized. So, you'll have a customer table. And each one of those columns that we refer to in a spreadsheet, the proper name and database terminology for that, those are, those are your field names. You're going to call a unique field, for example, customer name or C name or whatever you want to call it, just plain old name, whatever you call it. As long as it's unique, um, you can call those fields whatever you want, and you can have as many fields as you deem necessary. Again, the relational database management systems have, there is some theoretical limit, but it's so ridiculous that um, nobody probably listening to this show is ever going to run into a situation where they don't have enough room or the database management system doesn't allow them to have enough fields. So you're going to create a bunch of fields and you're going to define those field data types. For example, if the field, you decide to call it customer name or customer underscore name or something like that, you're going to define it as a data type of what kind of data is it? Alphanumeric? which is, there, and I'm not going to go into the terms, but there's different ways that you define that. You say, okay, well, this is going to be an alphanumeric field, and it's going to be a length of, I don't know, 50, or however long you think the longest name you might run into. Always err on the side of caution, and there are some database tricks and data types that you can use that are variable length. We'll come back to that in a later episode, but for now, just understand you're going to define the data type. Um, one of the other fields we mentioned is um, price for example. Well, price is a numeric data type. You're never going to put in A, B, C for a price. It doesn't make sense. So you probably define that field as a numeric type. So you put all that in there, just like you would in a spreadsheet, but you're going to put these into a table. table. You're going to define all those data types and the names of them. And then every time you put a record into that data, a record is equivalent to saying a row in your spreadsheet visualization. So you're thinking of a spreadsheet, and let's say you're manually taking orders over the phone and in a spreadsheet and in Microsoft Excel you type in all that information every time someone takes an order. What a nightmare that could be. You type in one row of information about somebody. That is a record in database terms. That is one row across filling in all or most of the fields that you define at the top. The name, the address, the phone number, etc. And certain information, of course, is required. You can't process someone's order if they don't give you a credit card number, for example, or if they don't give you a shipping address. So all these things factor in there as well. We're going to come back to some database design probably in a later episode as well. But right now, you should have visually in your mind several spreadsheets, a.k.a. tables, and we're going to, from now on, get in the habit of calling them tables because that is the proper name. You can visually think of spreadsheet, but they are two-dimensional arrays called tables. The tables have all of your fields defined in them, which again is across the top for our visualization aspect. And then every time you have a complete row of data in there, the rows are referred to as records. So this is all your data stored in there. So let's imagine you've been in business for a month and you have a database filled with 
at least those three tables I mentioned, a customer's table, a product's table, and an order's table. So, as you add new products to your store, all you have to do is add that product into your product's table. As new customers come in, it's going to add a new row to your customer table and it's going to continually grow and this is where relational database management systems shine is the more data you put in there they can still read and write that data very efficiently so that's one of the good benefits of an RDBMS the other thing we probably want to talk about on this show is we mentioned these tables and having relationships together well I'm going to leave. I'm going to, this is kind of a very deep topic, but it's critical. It is the most important thing in understanding databases and relational databases is the concept of keys. We talked about these tables having relationships between each other, but how? We kind of glossed over that, and intentionally so. Well, that database has to relate to each other somehow, and it has to be in designed in such a way that you can look data up between the two of them. If the data does not have relations between them, if they do not have relationships between them, then again, you might not need a database management system or you not, not, might not need these all together in the same database itself. The whole point is to have relationships between that data. So again, we go back to the products table and a customer's table. Well, how do you tie those two together? Well, each time you insert a table into a database, you want to, you don't have to, but you want to to take advantage and properly use databases. You want to define some unique identifier for every table. And that's what normalization that we referred to at the beginning. Normalization, you don't want to repeat any data anywhere. You want to try to make every piece of data only once in the database because A, it saves space. B, you don't want to have to update multiple locations anytime something changes. What if the color of one of your products changes? If you've got it just in your products table, there's only one place that you can change it. But if it's also over here in maybe your orders table or in some other descriptions table that you've got that's independent and not tied back to that, you can be updating data in a bunch of different places and you don't have data integrity anymore. You don't have your data maintained. You, can, you may forget to change it in a bunch of other places. So what you want to do in these tables is logically break them down in such a way where you define something called a primary key. And a primary key on, a, on let's say, our customer database, for example, it could be a name. And we're going to go with name for right now. A name, some unique way to look up information in that, ta in that table. If I've got a table with 500 people in there, I only want to find one particular customer. How do I do that? Well, in, last, in the first episode, we talked about if you had a text file and all that data in there and you have to go searching through it to find one unique name, one person, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to parse through that entire thing and all this extraneous data that you really don't need. Well, in, a, in an RDBMS, um, the data is stored in such a way that you can search much quicker and much more efficiently. You define a primary key, which is indexed, so that when you go looking for something, it's going to go right to that data infinitely so, so much faster than writing directly to a text file or some other format. So if you only wanted to look up, um, I don't know, David Letterman to see what he's ordered from your site. I don't know why that name popped into my head, but it did. 
So you go in there and you search for that name. It's a unique ID in the example that we're using here. And you can say, okay, there he is. Here's his address, phone number. So you went straight to him. Believe it or not, that's actually a very bad idea. What if your actual user that you were looking up was John Smith or some common name? You could have multiple John Smiths with different addresses. They're completely different people. So when you define your primary key, you have to be very careful. You have to come up with some unique identifier to be able to tell that. Back to your products table, for example, you might not be able to use a product name as your primary key. What if your uh, what if your the name product name was um, antivirus? Well, there's several different antivirus software packages. How are you going to tell one from another? You're going to have to come up with either a longer, more unique name every time, or more than likely what's going to happen and what most places do is they'll use a numeric system, whether it's auto numbers starting at one to uniquely identify every product in there. Or maybe assign some sort of code number, maybe something that's stored in a, a third-party database. So AV1 for the first antivirus product, AV2 for the second antivirus product. Over in the customer's table, think of some unique identifier that you could use to uniquely identify a person. The most common one that we all know is probably Social Security number, and there's a lot of controversy over using that number. It is used very frequently as a unique identifier because theoretically it's unique to every person in the United States. They all have a social security number. <coughs> but that may not be safe to use, first of all. Um, if you're dealing with international, you might not have people, might not have a social security number, so that becomes a pitfall. So really what I'm getting at here is part of the analysis that you're going to do when you lay your tables out is to come up with what something unique that you can identify an individual row. You have to be able to do that in an RDBMS. You have to somehow come up with a way where you can find one row, one record of data in there. And I think that's probably a good place to leave you thinking until we come back to another episode and we'll follow up on this. But how would you break something down? How would you uniquely identify a person? That's probably the question I'm going to leave you with with this episode, how would you unique, uniquely identify with a, a person in any scenario or in any database? How do you think, and, and use it in, in reference to the application, how does the United States government uniquely identify a person? Social security number, one of the first things that jumps to mind. How does your state uniquely identify you in their database? They could use the social security number, but technically they should not. So what do you think they might use? What about your school or your college or university or even high school? How do you think they uniquely identify you? They, again, could use the Social Security number, which is uni universally unique in the United States, again, theoretically, but they shouldn't be using that either. So what might they use? What's different that could be unique for them to identify one individual person? So that's a good question to leave you with this time. Um, I'll do a quick recap on some of the important terms and things that we brought up this, this episode. Uh, we talked about RDBMS, Relational Database Management System, and how they have relationships. The key word in that is relationships. Your data has to have relationships with the other data in your database. Otherwise, there's no point in having it or no point in using it. If you've just got one 
list of data, then there's no need in using an RDBMS. But if you do decide that you're going that direction and you are going to need that, then you're going to break your data down into logical clusters, remove repetition, don't use reuse data, make sure the data exists only in one place as best you can, and this process is called normalization. And there are different levels of normalization that we did not go into that we'll hold for another episode. And the design of your database logically think ahead of how you're going to uniquely identify all of that data. Sometimes you break down all of your data, but you're still going to have to add a little bit more data to uniquely identify it. In the example we talked about tonight, we said products. Antivirus may not be a good enough example. Even, honestly, even Norton antivirus might not be good enough because there's different versions of it. So how would you uniquely identify it? Would it be NAV1? for Norton Antivirus version 1, NAB2 for version 2, et cetera, et cetera. That's the kind of stuff you need to think about when you're designing your databases. So I'm going to plant that in your head for this week and let you all think about it. The, the question you should be having in your head and think about when we start the next episode um, in this mini-series will be how to uniquely identify a person, just as an exercise to get you thinking for the next episode. So thank you for your time this week, and we will see you again on an upcoming episode of Hacker Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.